for Pastor Earl down there. And, you know, he went down and, and he, he actually went down, the first time he went down was last year. He just started doing some teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and just, the Lord just opened up doors for him to go teach. And one of the things that he said, he was uh, recounting his trip down to Nicaragua. Um, he was talking about the, one of the pastors that God's hooked him up with down there, Pastor Pedro is his name. And uh, this man, he's been associated uh, with a traditional uh, denominational church for several years. And, um, you know, being in Nicaragua, you know, it's not exactly, you know, considered on the same status, if you will, in the United States, globally, most people, right? And he said that when Pastor Earl began to come down and begin to teach him about the kingdom of heaven, what it meant to be in the kingdom, and what, and what the kingdom, the fullness of what the kingdom was, he said that the man just wept and told him, he said, you mean I am not a second-class citizen? Because even the denomination that he had been a part of, you know, the denomination was headquartered in the United States, and so even when he would have interactions with folks from the denomination in the United States, you know, that, well, you're just that little pastor from down in Nicaragua, backwater Nicaragua. But he said when, he began to, when the Lord began to open his eyes and he got a revelation of what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, uh, that he just wept. And he said, he said I'm not a second-class citizen. He said, we're all members. Because you, you understand this. We'll say this and we're going to get on to this morning's teaching is that the kingdom of heaven, we need to realize that you are not an, Amer- an American citizen first, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you're a child of God. Our citizenship, Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is, and, and I've said this before, people who are Muslims have a lot better concept of what it means to be part of a kingdom than what many believers do. Because if someone's a Muslim... <clears throat> It doesn't matter if they're in Saudi Arabia or if they're in Jordan or if they're in Iraq or Iran or if they're in the United States or in Canada or Australia, wherever they're at, they are a Muslim first. That's why I said, man, you can get the, if you get those people born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, man, you've got something, a force to be reckoned with because they understand my geography does not matter. You understand that that the concept, I, I, I'll share this with you so we don't seem like we're being a little bit too academic, but the, no, the, the contemporary notion of a nation state, what we think of as a nation, when we say nation, our contemporary usage of the word nation, we think of a political entity that has, uh, has determined borders and that where people from all ethnic groups can come together and you, if you live within that border, you're part of that nation. I'd give you that. that came from the Treaty of Westphalia. That concept came from the Treaty of Westphalia like in 1648. That's what you get for being a history and a government degree, right? Amen? Did you understand? But the biblical, when the Bible uses the word nation, that word in the Bible, when it used it, it was before the contemporary understanding of nation-state evolved. And so when the Bible says nation, it doesn't mean contained within a geographic border. To be a part of a nation... You had a, a common ancestry and a common culture, and it didn't matter if you were a part of the Jewish nation. You were a Jew if you were in Jerusalem. You were a Jew if your entire nation, if your capital got destroyed and you were carried off into captivity in Babylon, you were still part of the Jewish nation. You were a Jew in the Babylonian Empire, but your nation transcended geographic borders. And so the thing is, that's the way it is with the church. The church is not, we're, we're not, you know, we're not Christians. We need to change our paradigm shift. We're not Americans. We are 
believers, we are children of God, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven who live in the United States of America. And people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven who live in Nicaragua, they don't take a back seat to us. As a matter of fact, they could probably come up here and teach us a few things. Because I was praying this week and the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart to pray and, and, and pray to God that the people, the believers in Nicaragua would not be envious of the people in America, but that God would raise up evangelists to the Latino uh, population in the United States and the rest of the population, and that God would raise up missionaries out of Nicaragua to come to the United States and to, and to bring us back to where we need to be with God. Amen? Because God, you understand, there's no, there's no such thing as second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Well, praise God. Aren't you glad to be in the kingdom? Amen? Amen? That's weak. Let's do it again. Aren't you glad to be a member of the kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Amen? Praise God. Well, this morning we're going to uh, pray. We're going to get into the Word. Amen. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house. Lord God, we thank You for the Word. Father, thank You that it is Your Word. And God, You said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith that moves mountains in our lives. Faith that changes circumstances. Lord, faith that brings victory in our lives. And so God, we thank You that every time the Word is taught, it's as if you're speaking to us, God. And we receive the Word as it is, the very Word of God. Thank you, Father, that you prepare the hearts of the people to be good ground that receives the seed of the Word and brings forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Father, we thank you that you confirm the Word with signs following. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we want to continue. Uh, we started about a month ago teaching on the subject of discipleship. And uh, just to give you a quick review, we've mentioned that uh, the word disciple comes from the word discipline, and that 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 if we're going to be a to be a disciple, discipline is inferred. And and so if you enter into a a course of discipleship, then that means that there's an understanding that as I become a disciple. I have to discipline myself. And you understand this, that discipline sets, up, discipline sets up priorities in your life. Discipline also sets up filters in your life. Discipline, discipline the priority that discipline has is your priorities change from people who are outside that discipline that you've entered into. Okay? Uh, martial arts is a discipline. You know, when I was in middle school, I took uh, Taekwondo for about three years. And, you know, there was a discipline to a degree. You went and you were, tra you went so many times a week and you were trained. And when you, the days of the week that you didn't go to the dojang and practice, you were expected that you're at home, you're going through your stretches to get yourself limber so that you're able to do kicks without tearing something and having to go to the hospital. Um, and that there's, uh, there was discipline. And that you, you know, and our, uh, the master at my dojang, he, you know, he wanted us to learn how to count in Korean. He was, he was from uh, South Korea. And so he wanted you to be able to learn to count at least till, to ten in Korean. Yeah, he wanted you to know a little bit of history, uh, of the particular, uh, branch of the martial art that you were in. It was Mudaquan, Mudaquan Taekwondo was what I took. And so he wanted you to know, so there, so, uh, there were priorities that were set. If practice was three set nights a week, then I knew those three set nights of the week that if I was going to be submitted to this discipline, 
that I didn't do those, that I didn't do other things, that when that night rolled around, I made myself available to be there and to be under the instruction of that master because here's another component of discipleship. In discipleship, there's always a disciple. You could say a learner or a pupil. And there is always a master. And the master is the one who, and we learned this from uh, looking at the word, I believe it's over in uh, Matthew or John chapter 10. It says that, that when you're perfectly trained, you'll be like the master. So that, in other words, the master's perfectly trained. Now, my master at my dojang, he was a, a, a ninth degree black belt, and he only had one more, and he was in the process, and I'm sure that he's, you know, that's been over 20 years ago, I'm sure that he's a tenth degree black belt now. But the thing is, there's a master, there's a disciple. The disciple is the learner or the pupil. The master is the one who is trained, and he teaches the pupil. And so, and he's the one. And the master is the one who prescribes the regiment of training, and the discipline to which the learner is to submit. Right. And so, and we had uh, mentioned that there are lots of there. The you know we spent one entire uh, sermon teaching on the benefits of discipleship. That there are benefits because. As we become a disciple, the Word says when you are perfectly trained or when you are completely trained, you will be like the Master. Because understand this, the goal of discipleship eventually is to become exactly, it says, the Word says, just like the Master. In other words, when I took, you know, when I took uh, Taekwondo, if I had stayed with it, if the Master could, uh, could do, uh, if he could break cinder blocks with his hands, hitting them and not break his hand, then my goal was to train to the point where eventually what he did I could do. You know, if he could, if he could just be standing there flat-footed and jump up and, and do a, a, a sidekick face level with a six-foot man. And he was a little South Korean guy. He was only about five-foot-five. In other words, and I'm using that in the natural to explain to you that the, the intention of being a disciple and entering into discipleship is, is that eventually I become just like the Master. I've become to where I can do the things that the Master does. That's the goal. If we've entered it, we've not really entered into discipleship if that's not the goal. And we, and we mentioned we want to take a look at our two key texts that we've been looking at the past few weeks. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> Uh, verse 20, starting with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and He will reward each according to His work. And what we had mentioned here uh, that we brought out quite a bit from that passage was is that self-denial is a requisite to becoming a disciple of Jesus. If someone tells you, well, you know, I've been going to church for years and, and uh, you know, I've been uh, a follower of Jesus. They say, I've been a follower of Jesus for years. But they've never denied themselves anything. How likely is it that they're really a disciple of Jesus? It is a requisite. In other words, let's just make it real plain. This is just as plain and bolt now as I can make it. There are going to come times in your life, if you are purposing in your heart to become a disciple of Jesus, there will be, if you've not had it yet, there will be times when you are going to want to do something and God's going to say, no, do this. 
That's as simple as I can make it. Is that, is that you, and you have to make that decision. And this is where you decide, am I a disciple or am I just a believer? Do I do what the Holy Spirit says? Do I do what God says? And you understand this, I, and we said this, and not to dwell on to them, is that it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're not talking about a bad thing. I'm not talking about you want to go grab a fifth of liquor and go over to the Paradise Club. I ain't talking about that. If, you, if you've got that desire, you need to get born again. Amen? We just need to pray and cast that demon out of you. Right? Get that thing taken care of. But what I'm talking about is it might be something that, it, in, that the thing in itself there's nothing wrong with. It might be it might be a career pursuit. It might be, you know, where do you want to go to college? It might be whatever. And the thing in itself might not be bad, but is it what God wanted you to do? Okay, just an example. Pastor Cheyenne and I, when we went to college, we could have, uh, you know, we applied to three different colleges. We applied to Mercer. We applied to the University of Georgia. We applied, applied to Berry College. And we got accepted to all three schools. Well, now, anybody who knows me knows I like Georgia football and really would like to have been a, a UGA alumni. But Pastor Cheyenne and I, we prayed, and we both come to the conclusion, we felt like that the Lord was leading us to go to Berry College in Rome, Georgia. And Berry was... Three, what, three times more expensive a year? The, the tuition was three times what the University of Georgia was because Barry was a private college. Well, let me ask you, is it a sin to go to the University of Georgia? No. Is it a sin to go to the University of Florida? Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Amen. <laughs> That's a joke. Amen. Amen. It's not, okay? Unless God tells you not to go. Amen. But the thing is, if we had prayed and heard God say, go to Barry." Because you understand, we made some connections there in ministry, really, even that just now we're beginning to see the fruit of those things. But we made those connections. And this is the thing. If we hadn't went there, we may not have made those connections. Probably wouldn't have made those connections. May have, God. But this is the thing. But we would have been disobedient to God, and we would have missed out some stuff. And you understand this, that we said that that when we're saying that you miss what God's perfect will is, that back in, in Matthew chapter 16 where we were reading, it says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? And we've said that so many times the church has taught it in this way, oh, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he dies and goes to hell? Well, certainly that's a no-brainer, right? Duh. You know, who's going to trade going to hell for something you do on earth? Nobody. But if you'll study that out, that passage actually says, what would it profit or benefit a man if he does injury to his own soul? And what we brought out in one of the teachings was, is that we need to just stop thinking about is it heaven or hell. If you're born again, hell's off the table, right? If you're a believer, if you're born again, hell, just take hell off the table. What we're talking about is living, a, can, is it possible to be a believer, to be born again, that if you die, you're not going to hell. Jesus is your Lord. Okay? But you still do things in your life that causes injury to your soul. Yes, it is. And so it's important that we are following Jesus, that we're disciples, that we're following Him. And the, and the next passage that we looked at was John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed on Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what we brought out of this was that Jesus, in this passage of Scripture here, Jesus makes the differentiation between just being a believer and being a disciple. Is that what the verse says? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed, the King James says, who believed on Him. If, and is if a conditional word, if, so on the condition of, 
that you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Because how many of y'all know there were people, there were every place Jesus went. I mean, you talk about someone that's giving away free health care and free food, and you're going to draw a crowd, right? Now think about it. Jesus, every place Jesus went, he healed people, he fed the thousands. There's stuff that Jesus did that we don't even know about because the Bible says if the volumes were written of all the things that Jesus did, the earth itself couldn't contain all of it. So you think about it. What? Why are people coming across the United States-Mexican border? There are people who will walk through the desert for days to get into this country because they think we can get some free health care and we can get some free food. Right? There are people crawling through tunnels right now to get under, to get under this government. Whoo! Aren't you glad we live in the kingdom? Amen? Praise God. Sometimes I think the United States government is one of the biggest detriments to people coming into the kingdom. Because we're trying to give people the things that the that being a part of the, uh, the kingdom promises to people without placing the kingdom requirements on them. Amen? Because in the kingdom, God promises, don't take any thought for what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. Don't give, don't give that any thought. Amen? Is there healing available in the Scriptures? Amen? Is there healing? Yes, there is. But this is the thing. First of all, you have to be born into it. You have to be a citizen of the kingdom, right? You've got to be born again. Then you've got to be in right standing with the government. Righteousness. Not that you're saved by your deeds, but in other words, that your deeds line up with the laws of the kingdom. Amen? Here in the United States, people can enter into the country illegally and obtain the benefits even though they're unrighteous before the laws of the land. So you see, really giving out all these subsidies without having a righteous requirement of people, it just encourages bad behavior. You reward bad behavior, and what do you get? Amen. You get more bad behavior. Amen. Praise God. But you understand this, is that, that Jesus said, if you, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples. And we said this, that there are, the problem in the church today is we have too many believers and not enough disciples. Why? Because there are people all over the country today that should be in church this morning in the house of worship, worshiping God, having their faith fed, that, that, prior, that their priority is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about we know there's people that have to work, right? There's people that, are ha- that have to work. But we're talking about people that, you know, Sunday's just that second free day on the weekend. And if I don't have anything else going on that's more important to me, then I'll think about going to church. But I are a believer, Right? Oh, I believe. You know, there were everybody that ate any of the free bread that Jesus gave out. They believed in him, but they weren't all his disciples. Selah. Pause and think about that. He said, "If you if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed." And so, that being a disciple, it is something different than just being a believer. We've mentioned this, that a believer corresponds with a baby Christian. The Bible talks about being spiritual, spiritual babes. And the difference between... So a believer is a spiritual baby. A disciple is someone who proceeds on to maturity. Because hearing the Word, reading the Word, knowing the Word, and, and doing the Word is what produces maturity. You can know all the Word you want to. Clay knows how I drive. I take, Daddy takes a key and sticks it in the ignition and he turns the car and the car starts up and Daddy wiggles that little magic stick on the steering wheel and it, and it puts the car in gear and Daddy turns the wheel and the car goes. Clay knows how I start. He can even show you what key it is. He can show you where the key goes. But guess what? He can't drive. Why not? Because his body's not matured to the point that his legs are long enough to reach the pedal 
and his hands to reach the gear. And so, you understand this? It's just having knowledge of the Word is not any indicator of maturity and knowing the Word itself. You can spout off Scriptures till your, head turn, till your face turns blue and your head flops off, and it does not mean that you're mature. Man, you can have Scripture all over your house in post notes, hanging on the mirror, hanging on the refrigerator, hanging off the rearview mirror of your car. Every place you have. Man, you got Scriptures. Somebody pokes you and a Scripture pops out. Like Pillsbury Doughboy. Hee hee! Oh, my God supplies all my needs according to His riches glory. Okay? It just runs out. But are you doing it? That's the measure. That's the measure of maturity when you begin. Because remember, man, doing a lot of review this morning. Remember we said this. The Bible talks about over in Romans when it says you're carnal or you're flesh ruled. That, what that word literally means is, is that you're controlled by your senses. What you see what you hear, what you can reason in the inutility of your mind, you allow that to control you and have greater influence on you more than what the Word says and more, uh, and more than what the Holy Ghost when He speaks to you. Amen? That the, that, that the Holy Spirit says, give an extra $50 in the offering this morning. Oh, and I say, oh, no, Pastor, you're just talking about money. I know you pretty. No, no, no. I'm, just talking, I'm breaking it down simple where you understand what I'm saying. Because I'll be real honest with you. If you can't be honest with, the, with God, if you, can't, if you can't be obedient to God in the giving of, of something as simple as, as a little piece of paper you pull out of your wallet and drop in the offering, then don't kid yourself to think you're going to do anything with your life He tells you to do. Because let's, let's face it, that's easy. That's easy. Writing a little piece of paper with some numbers on it and... and Dropping that in, that's easy. Now, it might be easier for in some ways than others. It seems like the more zeros you get on the end of it, it's a little bit harder to do. Ain't you swallow thousand? Yeah, amen. That's a little bit harder to write than twenty, right? Start adding those hundreds, and it's a little bit harder. But you understand what I'm saying is that it doesn't take a lot of effort to go. Well, you know, let's open this thing up. You know, pull something out. Okay. If you can't be obedient in something as simple as that. What if God said, um, I want you to quit the job that you're doing now and go do something completely different for me? Now, we all like to talk it and say, we do. oh, I'd do it. Man, I'd do anything for God. How many times have we all prayed, God, I'd do anything for you. Lord, I'll go where... I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Huh? And we'll sing it. It makes a good song, don't it? But when it comes right down, when the rubber meets the road, I'll do anything except that you ask me to do, Lord. I'll go any place but there, Lord, that you ask me to go. Why? Because why? It's, it's easy to talk. I mean, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's harder to walk the walk, isn't it? And really, this thing, we've said this, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, and you're going to do it the way the Word says to do it. Now, if you do this little watered-down, milk-toast, little modern-day, 20th century American, 21st century American version of what it means to be a disciple, where you just go to church maybe once a month, and if you've got a little extra money, you drop it in the offering plate every once in a while, and you pretty much go about you know, Monday through Saturday doing whatever you want to, living your life you want to, the way you want to, and for 90 minutes one day a week, you're a Christian, because most churches don't even go uh, twice on Sundays anymore, Right? But if we give God 90 minutes a week, and bless God, that long-winded preacher better not go one minute over 90 minutes, or I'll start doing this stuff. Oh, Lord gee, I wish I could just... God get, y'all better watch out, because God might give me some liberty when I start seeing people do that, just to call them out on it. 
You got some place to go? Boy, they think, man, they think you was the sorriest preacher in the world, wouldn't they? If they sit there, and this is the thing, people make eye contact with you to make sure you're seeing them, and then they go. Just let you, just so you know, preacher, I got, I got more important things to do than this. Now, if that's the kind of disciple you want to be, the 90 minute one day a week uh, disciple, that's a joke. That's a joke. Because you understand, like I said, I said this last week, everybody wants the benefits of a disciplined life, but not very many people are willing to do what it takes to reap those benefits. Every place Jesus went, Jesus was the most disciplined person that ever walked the face of the planet because Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Jesus even said this, you, know, you understand this, in the kingdom we don't need to think like Ameri- the, the, the American mentality is incompatible with the kingdom. Because in America, this, this is the way people feel, by God, i got freedom of speech and I say what I want to. In the kingdom, you don't have freedom of speech. God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, and in it you shall meditate or mutter or speak to yourself day and night. In other words, you say what the king says. And anything that people say contrary to what the king says, it's, it's rebellion. And what the Bible says, it says, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured. Oh, but now, pastor, we're born again. We're Christians now. That don't apply to us. They were cut, or it's a type and shadow in the Old Testament. Right? Israel was a type and shadow of the church. They were God's covenant people. And they were still, and even when they were carried, when Jerusalem was destroyed, and they were carried off to Babylon, and they were, and they were uh, prisoners carried off uh, into a foreign country, they were still God's covenant people. But they were reaping the consequences, they were still Abraham's seed, they were still God's covenant people, but they were reaping the consequences of their disobedience to His Word. And so, fast forward to the church age. You understand is that you can be disobedient to the Word. You can disobey what God says. And, and it has nothing to do with your salvation. You are, you are a child of God by birth because Jesus, you've, you've, at some point you prayed and said, Jesus, I make you Lord, the supreme authority of my life. Lord, I, I give my life to you. You've been born into the kingdom. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, he's a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you're saved. And this is the sad thing. This is what the church in America has reduced salvation and what Jesus did on the cross to. Well, I don't got to go to hell when I die. That's aiming pretty low. That's aiming pretty low. That's like you've got some piece of junk car that you've got payments on and somebody writes you a check for $50 million and gives it to you. And you go, whoo, praise God, I can pay that car off. And you got some car financed, you know, you owe $3,000 on some piece of junk car, it's broke down all the time, and, and somebody gives you that big of a, a blessing of a financial benefit, and all you can think about is, oh, I can pay that car off. You know, praise God, I can, you know, I can go to Walmart and get some new Venetian blinds for my 50-year-old trailer. I'm living in. I'm not putting down anybody that lives in a trailer. You understand what I'm saying, though, is that the potential for what was given to you is so much greater than what you're even thinking. And so the church and so many people have thought this, that salvation just means 
whew, I don't got to go to hell when I die. And when you reduce it to, to that, that fosters the attitude, well, I can live my life, do anything that I want to anyway, because, I mean, basically all I'm getting out of it anyway, I don't get anything out of it till I die anyway. So as well, why, why bother to make sacrifices? Why bother to deny myself and follow Him if the only benefit is I don't got to roast or toast when I die? But when you begin to teach people, there are benefits. And what we do in this life, although your works have absolutely nothing to do with the fact that you're born again, we taught this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the benefits of being a disciple, what we do on the earth absolutely contributes to what we enter into the kingdom with. Amen? Our works, remember, we read this out of Corinthians, that we'll all stand before God and that we'll bring our, the, the works, the complete sum total works of our lives. Now, this is the believers. This is, this is, this is uh, the people that are born again. This isn't the ungodly. The ungodly, the sinners do not stand with the righteous in judgment. There's a separate judgment for them, the great white throne judgment. They're not going to stand in the congregation of the righteous. They're not going to be judged with the children of God because, you know, you done missed it. But it says everything that we've done, our life work, will be presented before God and the fire of God will test it. And if, there, if our work remains, well then we've got a benefit, we've got a reward. That's what it says. But it says that some people, that we're going to come and because we've taken our whole life and we've not been disciplined, that we present our works and the fire of God comes and, God, and, and it tries it and nothing you've done your entire life was ever for the kingdom, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? But you've not done anything. Your whole life has been, you've consumed your whole life on pursuing selfish goals that had nothing to do with the kingdom of God and, we, and God never even commissioned people to do it. There are people right now, and you understand this, that people coming or people not coming or whether you're making a lot of money or whether you're going broke in a business has nothing to do with whether it means success. Don't measure what God says by the world's yard by the world's yardstick because there are people right now who are presidents of multi-billion dollar corporations that God never called them to do that and they're going to stand before him one day and, and they're believers and their work's going to be tried by fire and they're not going to have nothing to show and they're going to go, wait a minute, I had a billion dollar business. I was successful at it. The great, remember, the greatest failure in life is being successful at the wrong assignment. Because, yes, that person may have been, the Bible says the hand of the diligence made rich. And someone may, God may have blessed them with business savvy, and they may be diligent, and they may be taking spiritual laws and applying it to a, 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 the wrong assignment, and it flourishes and grows and produces money, and it, beca- it becomes something that the, in, the, in the world produces money. But remember, prosperity is not just money, and success is not just money. Amen? But the person, they've taken it and they've worked it and, they've, and that was nothing that God even told them ever to pursue in their life. Amen? Praise God. Well, that's a long review, wasn't it? Amen? That's good. But this morning we want to talk about a, dis, a disciplined thought life. Because remember, we talked that discipline implies a denying of something that, dis, that if you're disciplined, it sets up filters in your life. Remember we mentioned this, if you're an, if you're an Olympic class athlete 
the fact that you have entered into that discipline, if you're going to be the best swimmer, if you want to be, you know, if you're going to jump off, what are, what are the boards in swimming? What, what meters? Ten meters? Something like that? Up in, up, if, you're, if you're going to jump off the tallest one, if you're going to jump off a 30-meter board, and you're an Olympic-class diver, how much good would it do you? Know, you go out and you put your little Speedo on, and you got a spare tire hanging over the edges of it. Matter of fact, you can't even see the Speedo. you got so much gut hanging over top. Y'all been to the beach and seen that, ain't you? There should never be a Speedo made larger than medium. But here, can you see the guy? Okay, I know it's a, it's a bad... Here's the guy with a little Speedo on, spare tire all around him. He's jumping off a 30-meter board. What do you think is going to happen when he hits that water? It's going to hurt. He's going to need some salve when they get out, right? Right? i got some sore spots. It's like from here down, Right? So, so if you're going to do that, there's a discipline, right? And, and that's funny, but I'm saying, is that there's a discipline that you don't catch. Who's it? Greg Luganus. He was a great swimmer, right? Okay, diver. You're not going to catch him over at Old Times Buffet pulling up a chair to the buffet. Why? Because he's, he has a purpose and a goal and a discipline that he's entered into that eating anything he wants in the quantities that he wants will prevent him from achieving the goal and being successful in the discipline that he submitted himself to. And so, if we have to, you understand this, is that God expects us all discipline, all discipline starts in your mind. Amen? We'll just say this real quick. This is just a little refresher. Remember... That there's the threefold nature of man. You are a spirit. And when God says man, He means all of us. It doesn't matter what the, what the sex of your wrapper is, if you will, because you understand it's your body is just the wrapper that God puts your spirit in. And when God speaks and He says something about man, He's talking about the spirit. The spirit is man. Okay? Male and female. God, in the beginning, God made man. He made, in His image, He made them both male and female. Right, so it does not matter what the what the you know the sex of the wrapper your spirits put in your spirits man. Understand this is that you have a body, but you do have a wrapper. Right, your wrapper determines uh, who you're supposed to be joined with in life. Amen. How many of y'all know that if you take two ends of a, of an extension cord, two male ends of an extension cord, they don't go together. You take two female ends of an extension cord. They don't go together. But if you just notice something, it's so funny, is that you can find a plug-in and, and, and you look at a socket on the wall and, and, and that goes together. Right? Almost like it was made that way, right? Huh. Your wrapper determines who you're supposed to be coupled and joined with. Amen? But your spirit, because remember in Christ there's neither male nor female. He's not, and he's talking about your spirit, okay? Your spirit has no gender. But you have a body, you are a spirit, you live in a body, and you have a soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, your intellect, your emotions, what you think with, okay? Your brain is not your mind. Your brain is the organ your mind operates through, okay? So you understand this, is that when we become born again, because you understand before, and I've said this before, I said this before, is that before a person is born again, remember Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again to enter into the kingdom. Now, he only said that once. 
Some churches camp out on that and that's all you hear them preach. Jesus said you must be born again one time in Scripture at three o'clock in the morning to one man, but some denominations they've built their entire church, their entire doctrine on a statement that Jesus said one time. Now, don't get me wrong, it's important. If you're going to get into the kingdom, Jesus said unless you're born of the water and born of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, and and so some people will say, well, what's it mean born of the water? Some people say it means born of the water of the Word. Well, other people say, and, and I think that this has some credence, is that being born of the water, when a baby is born in the world, you know, Pastor Shine, I, we've done this three this thing three times now, every time before they're born, there's some water comes out. Well, they say when a, your water breaks. Okay? Understand, before you can even, before you can get born again, it's a requisite that you're born, Right? So unless, uh, uh, because you understand your body, your flesh, is your spirit's license to work upon the earth. You don't believe me? Go smother your, go smother your body and see how long your spirit hangs around. Go, go let your body jump in front, jump out in front of a truck on the freeway and kill, and kill your body and see how long your spirit hangs around. No, no, no. You need a body the way God created the earth. And the way God set it up is, is that the Spirit needs a body to work upon the earth. And that's why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because Jesus needed a body to operate in upon the earth. But you are a spirit, you have a body, you, and, you, and your soul. But when you get born again, because remember, just because it doesn't matter if you're 50 years old and you've not ever made Jesus Christ Lord and been born again, you might be walking around, you might have a pulse, you might be breathing and sucking air, but that does not mean you're alive to God. Because God defines living different than what we do. God, in the, God created man and God breathed in the man's nostrils and man became a living soul. Literally, you studied out, literally God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living, breathing creature. That word soul means breathe, a, a breathing creature. So, in other words, animals don't have spirits. Animals have souls. Right? Animals have a will, emotion, and intellect. They're breathing creatures. Right? So, man was different though because man was a living, breathing creature that was alive unto God, then sin entered the world, man died. That's why the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and then when we made Jesus Christ Lord, then you were born again, and your spirit became alive unto God. And the born-again spirit will always want to do what is pleasing to the Father. Okay? Your flesh, your little earth suit, is all until you renew your mind, it's always going to want to do what pleases the flesh. Its natural tendency is going to be to be allow the greatest influence what it sees, what it hears, what it reasons in your little noodle. That's called being carnal. That's called being flesh ruled. That's called being a spiritual baby even once you're born again. So, where's the deciding vote? Because you realize two-thirds of majority rules, right? Your spirit always wants to please God. Your flesh's default setting is always going to want to be to be governed by the senses. So that leaves your soul. And the Bible and the Bible tells us, let's see, Romans, I'm just going to read to you, Romans 8, 5 through 7, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For the sinful nature is always, listen to this, the sinful nature, this is the New Living Translation, 
the Bible just says the carnal, the, the carnal nature. What's it say here? It says the, to be carnally minded. Remember that word carnal means that your senses, your, your sight, your hearing, and what you reason in your mind, your natural mind, is, is, uh, is enmity against God. Huh? It, says, it says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why we're still under the control. Uh, those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. That's the New Living Translation. And so the deciding vote is in our mind. What do we do when your mind will control it? Because the flesh is always going to... You know, imagine this. You're taking a vote. You've got two friends. You know, one's a real spiritual friend. And the other's a real carnal friend. Okay? One friend's the one that says, No, we don't need dessert today. The other friends say, Oh yeah, give me two slices. Amen. <laughs> okay? And you go through life and you go to do something with them and uh and you're gonna vote. Okay? What are we gonna do today? One friend says, Man, we're gonna get up and we're gonna get in the word and we're gonna get some exercise today. And then you look at the other one and say, What do you want to do today? Well, I wanna sleep in late. And I want to get up and eat a half a dozen donuts, and I want to watch a talk. I want to watch Jerry Springer on TV this morning. Yeah, you know? I want to watch talk shows this morning, huh? And then they say, "Well, what do you want to do?" And then you get, and then you get to decide. Well, yeah, I do like donuts. <laughs> no, I think we better get up early, and I think we better get some word, and I think we better get some exercise, and then guess what? If y'all walk in, if y'all in agreement, the other person they either going to do what they want to themselves, or they're going to go, "All oh, right, I guess I don't need donuts anyway. Let's read the Bible. Let's get some exercise, right?" And so that's the way it is with your mind. And so your mind, and so like I said, the one spiritual friend represents your born again spirit. The carnal, you know, lazy glutton friend represents your flesh, and then you represent your mind. And so you cast the divide, deciding vote. Well, your mind uh, will cast the deciding vote for. Or if we're going to have a disciplined thought life, because understand this, every, write this down, every moral failure is the result of a person refusing to discipline their thought life. Every moral failure in life, let's put it this way, every sin, because you understand sin just means miss the mark, right? means God had a perfect will. You did something that fell short of that. Okay? Every moral failure is the result of someone failing to manage their thought life. Understand this. Turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Y'all all all right this morning? Amen? Ephesians chapter six. We talked about this on Wednesday evenings. We were doing a lot of teaching. uh, We talked through the book of Ephesians, I think, for about 18 weeks or so. Anyway, the whole armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Amen. We're just going to stop right there because we're not really teaching on 
the, the, the uh, armor of God, but what we want to say is, is that you notice this, it, you go on down, it says, taking the shield of faith that you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And you need to understand the fiery darts that the devil throws at you are thoughts and suggestions that are contrary to God's Word. Okay? Fiery thought, you know? Um, you know, a married man goes to work and a, a cute little gal at, at the office or at the factory or wherever he's working starts making goo-goo eyes at him. And she starts being a little flirtatious and allowing him to think, well, you know, if, if you're interested, I'm a little interested. You know? And, uh, and a lot of times, and that wouldn't happen to Christian people, would it? That don't happen to church people. No. This is usually how it happens with most people who at least want to put on a facade of spirituality. They know somebody else is interested in nibbling on the hook, and then they go home and, and they sabotage their relationship with their spouse and cause the spouse to get to the point and discourage to the point that the spouse leaves, and then they get a divorce, and then they go back to the little hook nibbler and say, well, it was God. Because they won't get into just open adultery. Am I, just, am I being too real this morning? Amen? Because you know, open adultery is just too, is just too uh, nauseating even for them to want to gloss over, but they'll go do something else to sabotage a marriage that maybe has some problems, that needs some work. Because let's just face it, every marriage needs some work. doesn't matter how good you think your marriage is, every marriage needs some work. There's always room for improvement. There's always a way that the wife can love her husband more, uh, can love and respect her husband more. There's always a way that a husband can love his wife just a little bit more like Christ loved the church. Amen? But you understand, is that, that's a little fiery dart. Here comes the fiery dart. It's a thought. You know, if I wasn't hitched up with my old lady, I'd get this other little sweet thing that in less than five years, you're going to think it's an old lady. The devil don't tell you that part. So we, need, so we have to have a belief system, because you understand this, the armor of God that you put on is, is scriptural knowledge. It's the, it's the knowledge of the Word. All this armor, you know, if we talk about it, you can look at each component individually. You can talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the, uh, the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of it comes from the Word because you don't have faith to have any of it unless you've been in the Word, right? So the armor that you put on is how much of the Word do you know? I dare, I dare just to keep from embarrassing people, to ask people how many people in here have read the Bible through, have been a believer more, longer than one year, have read the entire Bible through. Because I, I don't want to ask people to raise their hands and maybe some people get embarrassed. But you understand, say, so, well, Pastor, I just don't have time to read the Bible through like that. How much TV do you watch a week? How much time do you spend doing hobbies a week? And you understand, I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm just saying, if we're defeated in life, it's not because God's grace isn't sufficient. If we're defeated in life, it's not because God has not equipped us sufficiently to be up to, to overcome any challenge and anything and circumstance that the devil can throw at us. Maybe we're just not taking, uh, making use of the armory that God's made available to us. Say, well, I just can't understand all those these, thous, and thus. Then get a translation that you can read. There's nothing wrong. If you can't read a King James Version of the Bible, get you a, a New Living Translation because it's, it's, almost in, it's in conversational English. And it, although it might not be one that's good to, to study 
and, for, and build doctrine out of, you'll get the gist of a lot of stuff, and it'll give you some light on some things that you can go back and you can maybe read a New American Standard tra- uh, tra- translation of the Bible or something and, and get a little more light. Amen? But you understand, we have to, we have to put the light on. Um, you understand this, that it says, put on the whole armor of God that you can resist in the evil day. And to stand, you understand this, if you choose not to put on the whole armor of God, defeat's inevitable. Inevitable. If putting on the whole armor of God is a requisite to being able to stand in the evil day, then failing to put it on guarantees defeat in the area of your life that you don't put it on. And, and you understand this? That it, that it doesn't mean necessarily in your whole life because there are, let's put it this way, there are some components of the armor that if you don't put on, put on it, can, it can result in complete devastation in your life. There are some that you might not put on that can cause a nagging inconvenience that doesn't kill you outright. But it still it still has a you know if you don't put if you don't shod your feet with the gospel of the preparation of peace, right? You might not die immediately, but it's going to cause some immediate inconveniences and stuff. But there are some things that if you don't put on and so what you put my point is is there's some pieces that are more crucial maybe than others. They're all critical to complete uh uh integrity, spiritual integrity, and walking in, in spiritual wholeness and self-defense. But some of them, if you leave off, you're just going to get wounded. Some of them, you leave off, you're dead. Okay? So, understand this. You understand the, the, that uh, God said in Hosea, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, the Word says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God didn't say, when we're talking about a disciplined thought life, being a disciple of Jesus, Subheading, a disciplined thought life. Subheading, you know, point one, the armor of God. Amen? The armor of God. Getting the armor of God. God said, my people, not the devil's people. God didn't say the heathen are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, although that is true. People who don't have any knowledge at all of God, they're destroyed, but they don't have any. But God's just telling you, look, you, my people, my covenant people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Uh, and you read the rest of it, uh, it says, Because you've rejected knowledge, I'll also reject you from being a priest for me. Because you've forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Man, don't want none of that. Praise God. Is it important what we know? Faith and ignorance are incompatible. You'll never have faith to be saved until someone stands up and says that God said that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord be saved. You'll never have faith for healing until someone stands up and proclaims to you that the Bible says by His stripes you were healed. You'll never have faith for finances if you don't hear someone stand up and proclaim, My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You'll, you can't, it is impossible to have faith and believe God for anything you're ignorant of. Amen? You understand this? I like this Hosea 4.6. This is in the... <laughs> It's the the Young's Literal Translation. My notes, I got the YLT on it. Young's Literal Translation. I like to say the Yoda Literal Translation because the way it says, it says, cut off have been my people for lack of knowledge. I read that way, I can always hear Yoda. You know, you watch Star Wars. I can always hear Yoda saying that. Cut off have been my people for a lack of knowledge. The Yoda Literal Translation. You understand this? Is that the degree of victory a believer will live in is directly proportional to the amount of Bible knowledge they have and the extent that they are obeying the Word. E.W. Kenyon used to say, 
uh, if you live if you live a life of lack and defeat, it's because you do not know who you are in Christ. He also said most believers are not defeated, they simply give up. We've got to know some things. Because you understand this, to, to, to be saved, you had to know something and you had to act on it, right? You had, you had to know, wait a minute, God loves me. God gave, loved me so much that He gave His Son to die on the cross that if I would believe in Him, that I would not perish, but I have everlasting life. And if I call upon the name of the Lord and I say, Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, I give you my life. That He'll save me. Right? And you had to know that. to act. But knowing on it, knowing it was, wasn't enough. Did you know that right now there are people in hell right now in eternal torment? They're not getting out of hell it's not temporary. As a matter of fact, when the white throne judgment takes place, the Bible says that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Hell's not even the final resting place for people who die without making Jesus Lord. Right now, though, there is a place called hell that burns with unquenchable fire as a place of eternal torment. And there are people there right now that are burning in the flames, crying out for mercy, who know that Jesus died on the cross to redeem them but they never acted on that knowledge. They never prayed and said, Jesus, You are the Lord of my life. Now, that's a, that's a sobering thought. In other words, you have to know the Word. You have to be a doer of the Word. And any place where you fail to implement what you receive as truth, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Amen? You understand this? Putting on the armor of God is your knowledge and obedience to the Word of God. Putting on the armor of God is a conscious act. No one can force the shield of faith into your hand. Just because you come and you come to church and you hear a good Word taught, because I'm going to tell you what, I do not come behind any of the most eminent apostles in anything. That's what Paul used to say, right? Paul said, said I don't come in behind anything. I'm going to tell you what, Creflo Dollar doesn't t- does not teach one bit better than I do. Kenneth W. Hagen does not teach any better than what I do. Earl Glisson does not teach any better than I do. I do not come in behind... This is the thing. I know the Word I teach. I teach the Word of God. I'm teaching the same thing that those men are. Amen? And if we sit down and we begin to talk and we begin to teach, we can sit, I can sit down with them and we can sharpen up some iron. And is there a lot that I can learn from, from Pastor Hagen? There sure is a whole lot that I can learn from Pastor Hagen. And I dare say there's probably a few things that he could glean from me. Because the same Holy Spirit that's in me is the Holy Spirit that's in Him. But you understand this. You can come to a church and you can hear the best, the best quality of teaching of the Word of God that there is. And if all you do is hear it, it profits you nothing. If you're not doing it, well, this can't get on me. This can't happen to me. I go to one of them churches. Well, are you doing what that, them church teach you? And you understand this, just because you go to a church to teach them, and you might be doing it, does not mean that you're not going to have challenges to your faith anyway, and that you're not just going to have to suck it up sometimes and say, no, bless God, the Word works. God is, God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should have to repent and change His mind about things. And even though this doesn't look like it worked, I know that all things are going to work together for good for those who love the Lord, and are called according to His, who love the Lord and serve Him and are called according to His purpose. That word serve, it implies you're obedient to Him. Now you can be a believer and not be serving Him, and things go wrong, 
And you can't claim the promise, all things work together for good. You're born again, you're a believer, but if you're not serving God, that disqualifies you from saying that everything that happens to you will work to your good. That's why it's beneficial to love the Lord and serve Him or be obedient to Him and be called according to His purpose. Because that's the criteria for everything working to your good. If you're not serving Him, and, and, and you understand, it can be in any area, and you understand, say, oh, Pastor, you just sound like you're being cruel to people. No, I'm not being cruel to people, because what I'm trying to say is, is I want people so desperately to get the results of doing the Word in their life that I'm going to, that we're not just going to all just stand around and go, oh, well, here it is. Well, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Huh? You understand that we've said this before, and we, you need to know this, is that that word mystery does not mean... When we use the word mystery in our vernacular, it means something that's unknown and unknowable. Right? Somebody, Something happens, well, we'll never know what caused it. We'll never really know what caused that. I guess it's just going to remain a mystery. But in the Bible, and in the language the Bible was written in, that word mystery did not mean something that's unknown and unknowable. The word mystery means unknown to someone who's outside the fraternity. In other words, how many of you know you've heard of fraternities and secret orders and the Masons is, is, is a fraternal order? And people, they got to think, in the Masons, people outside that don't know anything about what goes on in a Masonic temple or anything about the, the, meet, the stuff that the business has discussed in a meeting, it's a mystery to us. But it's not a mystery to the people that know everything about the Masons that are, that are a member of the Masons, is it? Why? Because they're part of the fraternal order. It's only a mystery to those outside of the, of the order. Yeah, God works in mysterious ways, but it's not right for us to be a believer and say, oh, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And we never begin to try to... Because God said, He said, I, you know, no man knows the spirit of a man, the, the mind of a man except the spirit of a man. Likewise, no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. And so, as a believer who is born of the spirit and can be filled with the spirit, God says, you know, hey, I'll let you, I'll let you know what I'm doing. You don't know what the game plan is? I'll let you get. It might be a mystery to the world. You might have a financial need and the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, give that money to the church and I'm, and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to cause an increase to come. And you understand, I only advocate people doing that when the Holy Spirit tells them. Okay? Don't bring, you know, don't bring your rent money and give it to me and then go, oh, I got no rent money, I'll give it to you. Well, did the Holy Ghost tell you to do that? I remember when I was at Bible school, uh, one of the instructors, um, someone had talked about the Lord impressed upon them, the Holy Spirit led them to give their vehicle to someone that didn't have one. And they gave their vehicle away because the Holy Spirit told them to, not because they heard the story and thought that was a cool idea. But the Holy Spirit said, you know what, I want you to sow that vehicle to that person. Just give it to them. And they said, well, oh, all right, I'll do that. They gave it away, and it wasn't nothing. It was less than a week. The Lord blessed them with a vehicle that was so much nice. Somebody, the Lord put it on someone else's heart and gave them a vehicle and bless them. And they were sharing that testimony with someone. They were sharing, you know, the, you know praise, Whoo, praise God, I heard the Holy... Because you thought it excites you. When you hear the Holy Spirit and you recognize His voice, and you do what He tells you to do, and then you see the blessing of God come in, man, you all go, Woo, let me tell you something. And it ought to excite you. Because that's when you start seeing the Word working in your life. But said that he was sharing his testimony, and this other person thought, well, I need a new car. Mine's a piece of junk. 
And they decided, I'm going to give my car to someone. And they gave their car to someone, and they walked to school the rest of the semester. Why? Because the Holy Spirit didn't tell them to give a car. They just heard it and thought it would be a good idea to do it. Amen? But you, amen? You ride your thumb to Mexico or something like that. You've got a hitchhiking school, right? But you understand you've got to be led, you got to be led by the Spirit. Amen. The armor of God, it enables you to stand the attacks of the devil. It says in the verses, you understand, it implies if you fail to put on the armor, you're vulnerable in any area, and that the armor covers righteousness, peace, truth, uh, healing, provision, prosperity. Uh, you understand, you have to, you, if, you, if we fail to put on the armor, and we fail to discipline our, because this is the thing, the Word will discipline your thought life. That is the full intent of it. Because re- remember, we're gonna, and we're going to wrap this up here, because remember this. What is the purpose of being a disciple? End result. To become just like the Master. And so, if we're going to, and you understand this, thought precedes action. If, you're going to act, if you act a certain way, it's because you put some measure of thought into it, even if it was subconscious thought. You, know, you see some people that they, they misbehave and you think, well, did they really think I want to misbehave? Well, at some point there was just subconscious thought that took place that made them act that way. Thought always precedes action. And so if we're going to ever begin to act like the master, you have first got to come to the point where you think like the master. Amen? And we'll continue this next week talking about a disciplined thought life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house. Lord God, we thank You that we are purposing in our hearts, Lord, we will be disciples. We'll move beyond just being a believer and being a a spiritual baby and being immature. But Father, we purpose in our hearts to be disciples, Lord, to be doers of the Word, to hear Your Word, to do Your Word. God, that we become perfectly trained, that we'll be just like the Master, we'll be just like Jesus when we're perfectly trained. That, Lord, we'll only say the things that the Father speaks, we'll only do the things that You tell us to do, and, God, we will have the same amount of success on the earth as Jesus did when we come to that point, Father. We just give You thanks and praise for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.